Live from the Parent Nation studios, it's Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents, shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. Yeah, well, I got a news flash for you, folks. The problem with kids is parents. Excuse me, Sheryl Sandberg, but I'm not leaning in anymore. I'm sick of spilling my martini. (laughs) I'm serious. It's time to put the F word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh my gosh, why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now, here's your host, Tara Kennedy Clive. Hey, Parent Nation. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Hi, How's hi. Going? It's going great. It's going great. Yeah. How was your weekend? Did you have a party? It was an extended... Well, I didn't have a party at my house. Uh, you no. know, though, like every day at my house is a party, though. Right. That's that's the illusion that I like to <laughs> fake people out with. But uh, no, we went out to... Uh, we went to a picnic at a friend's house, and <laughs> that was fun. My my eldest son got grounded from the car for the first time. Oh, that was now, dramatic. And what awesome. type? What type of um, experience warrants that? Well, see, here's what happens. We uh, we made the rules. We we set forth the rules partially, and then the other parts the law created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so laws, dang laws. So here's the thing, though, Kelly, honest to God, in, in Pennsylvania and I know in New Jersey and some other local states, I don't know how it is where you are, but um, you, we used to, on our 16th birthday, we used to get in line in front of the DMV mm-hmm. and take yes. our driver's test on our birthday. That yes. was like a rite of passage. Yes. Don't do that anymore. You Why not? Can, you, you can only get your learner's permit. You can only get your learner's permit on your birthday. Oh. So so now you go get your learner's permit on your birthday, and then you have to have 60 hours of supervised driving before you can even go take your test. Then you have to make an appointment to take your test, and you might wait as long as three months to, to get that appointment. Okay. Then once you get your license, when you're there, they give you a temporary license, and you have a, you have a junior license until you're 18. Right. So you can't drive after 11 p.m. It used to be after midnight, but now it's mm-hmm. 11. So many and, kids in the car. Right. And you can only have one passenger that's not related to you mm-hmm. in the car with you for the first six months of your license. Right. Well, um, that's been kind of tough because my son takes his brother to school. That's one of our conditions of letting him drive our car and paying the insurance uh-huh. is that he has to drive his brother to school. He's basically our taxi. And we have another teenager who's living with us right now. Oh, okay. Um, so Max's quota is full. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll call him big teen so that I don't completely humiliate him. But anyway, his quota is full. His car is full. Right. Now on the way home from football practice he doesn't have his brother he just has his the the other boy that's living with us but um he decided to bring two kids home after after the football game on friday night okay and that was a third strike you're out Mm. kind of thing you know it's we have a rule you you text us when you get wherever you're going to let us know that you arrived safely um, and you obey the laws that, you know, and that's 
you know, three strikes and you're out because we wanted him to have that. We want him to have a learning curve. You know, everybody makes innocent mistakes. And here's the thing. If you're following the laws, like if you're driving under the speed limit and you're wearing your seatbelt and you're not texting and, you know, you're doing all those things, all mm-hmm. of your lights work, cops aren't sitting out on the road looking for teenagers who have an extra kid in their car. Right. And that's the that's the truth. I mean, if you're a safe driver, they're going to give you props for being a safe driver and probably look the other way. Mm-hmm. for that one. However, it's still the law. So, you know, we're trying to instill good habits in him. You know, it's not just a matter of listen to mom and dad. It's create the habit of following the freaking law, you know? Right. So it was a third strike you're out kind of scenario. So he lost, uh, he lost the keys. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long? For three days. Okay. And, so uh, the- let me ask you a question. Does yes, that, ma'am. Is that more of a is that a punishment more on you now that you have to drive him around? Sort of. Or are you okay with that? Sort of, and we're okay with that. Okay, good. Um, because it then gives us the ability to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, losing the keys doesn't mean that mom and dad are now your taxi service either. Oh, that's so true. You know, did you hear that, Parent Nation? <laughs> You know, this now gives you the, the, the gift of letting them experience the pain of their consequences. Yeah. Stick you know, that knife in. Right. And twist it. <laughs> so, you know, he wanted to go out with his girlfriend and we're like, sorry. You know, he had birthday parties to go to that were an hour away. Nope. Um, sorry again. Not Sorry. So, yeah, you live and learn, right? You live and learn. You live and learn. And then we had to, uh, you know, we had to have a talk with the kid who's living with us, too, for the first time, which was kind of interesting, Mm. you know, because they forget that when they're living with you and you're not their parent, that doesn't mean that you don't give a shit about them. That's so true. You know, and so he put himself in a situation that we wouldn't have allowed our own kids to be in. Mm-hmm. And we were like, nope, not the agreement, bud. We love you. We care about you. And that's why we cannot let that fly ever again. We keep our you. agreements in this house. Good you know, for that, you. Yeah. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting holiday weekend of super duper fun and um, balancing that with being a parent. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that always sneaks in somehow, doesn't it? It does for many people, not all people, clearly, but for many people. And I think that's the whole, you know, that's the whole thing for me about parenting. It should be a balance. It should be a balance of friendship and fun and consequences and rules and boundaries and love and dance parties <laughs> and anger and frustration. And that's, and that, you know, that's what makes the world go around. Disagreements mm-hmm. are important. I think it's important to disagree with your kids and allow them to have an opinion. And then at the end go, and I honor your opinion. And, um, it doesn't matter <laughs> right now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, I get that you feel that way. And in this situation, tough shit. Right. Exactly. And, uh, and that's, that's some of what we experienced, you know, I'm tired. I don't want to go where I said I was going to go tough shit. That was Mm -hmm. the agreement. And sometimes we have to say that, you know, it's crazy. And I, 
Yeah. I'm I'm so excited about the guests that we have today. Oh, we're I know. Be talking about all kinds of stuff like that. I can't wait. It's uh, we have two of my two of my passion um topics these days yes. as a parent. You know, I'm I I'm I love all parents and all kids, not equally and not all the time, but <laughs> 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 um, but we're gonna the our first guest is uh, Jennifer Mazella, and she is um, she wrote three books about raising special needs kids, mm-hmm. and um, so passionate about that. Her sons, one of her sons' name is Alexander, just like my special mm. needs kiddo, and uh, and then she has a neurotypical child too. So she's going to be talking about navigating that lifestyle. And then in our third segment, um, we're going to be talking to Tyler Derman, who wrote the book that I read in a day last <laughs> Sunday, Counterintuitive. Yes. Um, and he's going to be telling us what four million teenagers wish we knew. And such a tremendous book. I mean, I, you know, here's the thing. I know that I talk about my ADD and we talk about ADD with our kids and ADHD and we say that it's a complete inability to focus and that sort of thing. That is such crap. And let me tell you why. All through my entire childhood and with the kids that I coach and work with, um, without medication, if there's something that I am completely interested in and that, that holds my attention, I can focus on that for hours. Mm-hmm. I read Tyler's book in an entire day. That's great. You know, there's there are other novels that I've read in a day. Most of them were romance novels. But that not being the point, if it's something that, um, you know, there I could be on Facebook all day long and be totally <laughs> engaged in that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there's there's things that that if it's interesting and if it holds your attention, you can totally focus on. And his book was one of those things for me. So I'm super excited about that. Um and uh, so you uh, were just let's talk about the news for a second. Yeah, because um, we had the first our first varsity football game Friday night lights because, you know, last year Max's hip was broken, so he couldn't play. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Went to every game anyway and just right. watched. Wow, that was boring. But anyway, now he's finally playing. And uh, I'll tell you what, watching some of those kids out on the field, it's like it, I I don't understand where the violence is coming from. I I don't get it. Like there's um there was a thing in the news. Did you hear about the two guys from Texas, from San Antonio? Yeah. The two that, high school players that attacked that ref. That pummeled them, yes. Yeah. Why? Here's the thing, because because he ejected two of their teammates earlier in the game. Ah, uh, okay. And they were gonna get back at him. Here's the thing, those kids should have been arrested on the field and taken sure. away in handcuffs for assault and battery. Sure. My son weighs 220 pounds and is five foot nine. He mm-hmm. is an intimidating teenager. You put him in, um, in a helmet and shoulder pads and he is downright dangerous. Right. And he is one of the smallest kids on his line. Mm. his defensive line. So you can only imagine in a place like Texas where football is akin to religion. Yes. These kids are bigger, tougher, harder. They're going to write Karina. Our producers like, you know, country boys are dangerous when, (laughs) when you put them in a helmet like that and you 
you back tackled a ref with no guard, no protection, no nothing, and then another player tramps on him after you're done? Are you kidding me? What? And then the people online, here's the thing that kills me, Kelly. The people online were saying, um, you know, like they should, the whole team, the whole football program should be ended for them for the rest of the season. And people are like, which I agree with, by the way. And sure. people are like, Jeez. people are like, why punish the innocent? Because you need to set a standard that is going to catch people's attention. You can't simply say we're going to punish those two kids and let the rest of the team go. And then that culture perpetuates itself because only those kids. So now if I fly under the radar and make it look like an accident, I'm not going to get in trouble. Bullshit. You know what? You have one season where the coaches are out of work. They don't have their winning records. Schools lose revenue. Families lose scholarships. The cheerleaders aren't cheering for anything. You have no band. You have no homecoming. Are you kidding me? You do that one year and you will send a message that people will hear you. That's the kind of stuff we need to do and we don't because we're too afraid of other people's rights. Kim Davis, give me a break. Kim Davis, the clerk who wouldn't do her job and now she's in jail. And everybody's like, oh, that's against her religious rights. No, it's not. She broke the law. (laughs) It wasn't her right to do what she did. You know what would get her out of jail? And people with their babies on their shoulders and picket lines, you asshats need to get a clue. (laughs) You don't bring a baby to a picket line like that. This isn't about religion. This is about her breaking the law. She could free her own ass just by saying, I resign because I'm not qualified to do that job that you elected me to do. That's how you free Kim Davis. I'm so tired of people getting all butthurt because somebody did or said something that offended their sensibilities, never mind the rest of the human population. Never mind the people that you're hurting. I'm so tired of it. And that's the message that we're sending to our kids, and I'm sick of it. Do you know what they're doing in Harvard right now? What? You're going to love this one, Kelly. <laughs> in Harvard right now, um, they have started a thing where you can register as an incoming student as male, female, or transgender, which I totally agree with. Okay. 100% agree with, right? Okay. But what they're doing is they're allowing those students who choose transgender to also choose the pronoun by which they, w- they want to be addressed. Hmm. Are you kidding me? So now a professor who is who is paid a lot of money to teach you really, really important shit has to worry about offending you if he calls you a he in class because you wanted to be called Zay or or <laughs> here or well, I want to be Klingon. You know, I want to be I want to be soul. That's Klingon for mom. That's what I want you to call me. And if you don't, I'm going to get pissed off and then I'm going to sue Harvard. <sighs> really, so people? Funny. My God, Caitlyn Jenner. What do we call you? I don't know. Let's call her Zed. I, what are we going to call you? You're a she now. You fought for that and you've done everything in your power to get that. Own that. Stop making everybody else's life complicated. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. We all want the freedom of speech, but then, but then the teacher in Pennsylvania 
who wrote the blog in 2011 and called her students lazy and entitled and whiny, she um, lost her case for freedom of speech. She got fired for writing that blog. She lost her case because they said it doesn't really, uh, it, it's not really good because um, it disrupted the legitimate interests of the people. Okay. Like trying to remember that that kid wants to be called Zed doesn't disrupt interests of your classroom, please. So anyway. Ugh. So Kelly, we have a sponsor. Yeah. We have, we have a sponsor of Parent Nation that we, that we want to, that, that we want to, you know, talk about. And it's Doc on Call 24-7. Have you heard about them? Of course. But here's the thing that's cool about them. My kids, my son is highly allergic to poison ivy, right? Mm-hmm. And every time he gets it, we have to go back to the urgent care. They have, we have to wait in line. We have to wait to be seen so that they can give him his prescription for his prednisone for his poison ivy because he gets it bad, 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 right? Okay. Yeah. So now we join this doc on call 24-7. Right. A doctor will either talk to us over the phone or we can Skype with them. We can video chat with them. Right. It's $18 a month. Mm-hmm. They will fulfill, they'll fill our prescriptions for us. Right. You know, if we have bronchitis, we don't have to sit in the waiting room with a thousand other sick babies and everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, we just sit in our living room and chat or Skype with one of their board certified doctors. And we, they, they serve us. They, you know, prescribe medications, they diagnose us, whatever. And they're offering a discount for Parent Nation listeners. That's amazing. Isn't it? So you could go to doconcall247.com slash parentnation. And not only will you get an $18 a month membership, but you'll also get a bonus for being a Parent Nation listener and telling them that they, you heard about them from us. It's pretty amazing. It is. It is. Where has, have they been all my life? Right? No kidding. I've always said, I wish I could just like Skype and, and, you know, just get this prescription filled and just go right. up to the, to the CVS and pick it up. Right. So now you can parent yes. nation yes. doc on call 24 seven best invention since prednisone and wine. <laughs> <laughs> and wine. And wine. So we're going to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking to Jennifer Mazella, who is the, uh, the author of this is not what I signed up for. And we're going to talk to her about navigating the waters of raising a special needs kid today when we come back. Which is why Tara's taking a cocktail break and we're taking care of business with a word from these sponsors. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, she'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Need a doctor but don't have time? 
Don't want to take your sick child out of the house? Doc on Call gives you access to U.S. board-certified doctors by phone or video conference. Avoid illness in waiting rooms. Don't take time off work. Call from the comfort of your own home. Get prescriptions when appropriate. No health restrictions. And the best part? No consultation fee. Don't put off going to the doctor. For only $18 per month, get 24-7 access to doctors for you and your family. Go to DocOnCall247.com slash ParentNation to sign up today. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? (laughs) It's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, Parent Nation. Welcome back to the show. I am really, really excited about our first guest today. Her name is Jennifer Mazella, and she um, she's kind of a kindred spirit in that she has been navigating the waters of the special education system for over 10 years with her kiddo. And uh, she, she wanted to change her own child's experience. And uh, I think like a lot of us who go through the process – just wanted to help other people to do the same thing. So she wrote a book. Um, she has a bachelor's degree in behavioral science, and she has master's degrees in counseling and social work. Um, she wrote a book called This Is Not What I Signed Up For. Pff, boy, can I relate to that. Um, <laughs> One Mom's Reluctant Journey Through Parenting a Special Needs Child and the Special Education. Oh, she also wrote the Special Education Parent University Coaches Playbook thing I love is she's now also collaborating on her third book with her son um, called Raising an Advocate. So that's going to be released this fall. I am really excited to talk to you, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well. I, 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 love, I love meeting up with people who uh, sort of experience things the same way that, that we do. Because uh, special edits, you, you said navigating the waters, and I immediately thought, oh, the shark-infested waters of special edits. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it feels sometimes, that you're the, you're the bait, and, yep. uh, and the sharks are swimming. Especially at those IEP team meetings when you feel like you're in the alligator pit and you're chicken. Absolutely. You know? Like, Absolutely. Yep. So, oh, my gosh. So what, um, so what is the... Uh, what is your experience with your son? What is his diagnosis? Um, he actually has Asperger's, which they don't call it Asperger's anymore. They keep changing it every couple of years. But he's basically at this point considered high-functioning autism. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for us, you know, he was diagnosed over 10 years ago. It was Asperger's then. He'll always have Asperger's now. Um, they can change it. It's still the same disorder. Um, and then we also have a younger son who is 11, and he suffers from very severe depression and anxiety. Mm. And, and so we kind of have two different special needs, and they both require some equally different finessing to get them what they need to make sure that they have all the tools at their disposal to help them overcome whatever obstacles might be in their way and to help them to really reach inside themselves and find that special piece that makes them amazing. And we try to exploit that. So we're, we're exploiters at the Mazella Madhouse. We, we try to exploit the good stuff and help them find their passion and their uh, journey through life. And so uh, we, we don't want anything disabling to hold them back. They're just right. differently, differently abled, as yeah. we like to say. They're, they're not disabled. They're differently abled. 
<laughs> I, I like love that. that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Is it my my Alexander has the same thing. It was okay. uh, it started as he's a pain in the ass and then was diagnosed as PDD NOS and okay. then was diagnosed as Asperger's. It always starts as your child's just basically um, behavioral, your child's a behavioral problem. Right. And you usually know. it's either your child's a behavior problem or you're not a good parent. You're yes. not you're not disciplined enough for them or you're not uh, providing what they need and they're acting out. Mm -hmm. And that's really a horrible thing for a parent to hear that they're a terrible parent because in my experience over 10 years of doing this is that the parents that I meet are some of the most amazingly awesome parents that I have ever encountered. And so it really isn't a, a parenting issue. It's really meeting that child where they are and recognizing that their brain works a little differently. And so how we approach them has to be different. They're not going to change. We right. have to adapt to them. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, I found that the most, um, what, what, what neurotypical parent, what parents of neurotypical kids find to be just, you know, everyday stuff for us, it's like triumphant, you know, like, right. oh my gosh, he made it all the way through lunch and didn't, you know, didn't lay on the floor one time, right. didn't pinch one person in line, yep. you know, yeah. when, when, when Alex took the, the regular bus to school, that was like, he had graduated from college. Hmm. Right. I, I can remember when, when my Alexander, um, he was in, I want to say fourth grade and he tied his shoes. Whoa. By himself, completely by himself. And I literally was blown away. And I had told a couple other neurotypical parents and they were like, really? My kid's been doing that since like kindergarten. And I'm like, no, no, no. You have no idea. Right. You have no idea how huge this was for him. I don't have to buy the Velcro shoes anymore. I can buy actual shoes. Like it opened a whole new shopping arena. It was amazing. Um, yeah. And, and to be able to find, I, I have a very tall, very thin child. Um, he's over six feet tall now, and he weighs maybe a buck twenty. He's very slim, and so to find find clothing for him that is long enough and still fits his little waist is an amazing triumph for us. Um, but to find those that don't have a tag, because my right. kid has some major sensory problems, so to find adult clothes that are fitting him that also don't have a tag, it's like the holy grail. Mm -hmm. um, so it's simple <laughs> things like that where, you know, if I make it through a whole week and the school didn't call me, I literally, it freaked me out the first time that happened. Because I happens? thought, oh, yeah, like it does. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here to tell you it does happen. It really will. Um, you know, when, when you actually see some of that progress happening, it just happens so much slower. And mm -hmm. you just have to pack in your patience because these kids really do take a long time to mature and sort of reach that level where they're not quite so needy. And, and you know, do you find that because so many of them, one of the, one of the common misconceptions about Asperger's is that they're all rain man, that they're all right. these child prodigies, like they're, you know, brilliant. At my Alex does happen to have a 145 IQ. And what I found was that because of his intelligence level and his vocabulary, people assume that his maturity level was that high as well. Exactly. And I, and I think that that is 
you know, a really a big problem because with autism in particular, you can't always look at that child and know that there's a, something going on with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my kiddo has a very, very high IQ and uh, he is going to be the foremost leading expert of World War II military tanks. <laughs> Um, And and he is just absolutely he knows more about that than any person I've ever met on the planet. Um, But if you actually asked him to do his times tables, he can't do it. And so a lot of times people look at they they don't realize that that hyper focus of one subject or one really amazing. We call it our topic of specialty. Uh, We have a topic of specialty in World War Two military tanks. And so. They don't realize that, okay, but this kid can't spell because he learned to read phonetically, and that's how his brain now works, and so he spells phonetically. Right. And so he can't yeah. spell, but he's got 150-plus IQ. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really kind of it, – it's very complicated to try to explain to people that when you look at him, he doesn't look like he has – some social problems. He doesn't look like he should be, you know, talking out when he's 16 now and in his junior year of high school, they expect a certain level of maturity and behavior that they're not going to get from him. Right. And, and it gets really old, I think, as a parent to have to go around. I, I used to walk around and tell people ahead of time that, well, you know, now, you know, he has some special needs, so don't expect too much. And I started realizing that really hampered his ability to mm-hmm. sort of make his own way. And that was part of the reason that the, the raising the advocate book is, is coming along is we had to learn that process of not only how do I, as a parent, learn how to advocate really effectively and how do I get him what he needs without walking out of IEP meetings, either screaming, wanting to throw something or wanting to go chug a huge bottle of wine. Um, because oh, that's wow. what my experience oh. was the first four or five <laughs> years, right? It was a lot of alcohol. There was yes. a lot of alcohol. <laughs> um, you know, I just, it was overwhelming. And so I had to learn how to do that, uh, you know, more mm-hmm. effectively um, because my kid wasn't being served at all. Right. And, and so I learned how to do that. But then we came to a point where I realized he's not going to live at home forever if my master plan and my master vision for him is going to be successful. If I'm anticipating him being independent and being able to perhaps go to college or do a career or do whatever he'd like to do in life, then I'm going to have to not only learn how to do it myself, but I'm going to have to teach him how to do it himself too, because he's not always going to have mom there or dad there to help him navigate that. And so we had to design a process where I'm not just raising a child with a special need. I'm not just raising myself to advocate. I'm raising an advocate. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And is there a process that we're going to go through? And that's really where that book came from, was really teaching him to do that. And I knew that I was holding him back when I was sort of preemptively telling everyone that, well, my kid has a special need, so give him some special treatment. Right. We got the same thing when when I started taking him to his own IEP meetings, yeah, because, you know, we had a bad scenario where he had an IEP goal and he didn't want to attend the class because of something that happened with the teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the teacher said, you have to do this because this is a goal. And once you've reached this goal, then you're done. And he goes, what are you talking about? It's not a goal if I didn't set it for myself. 
Absolutely. That's, you know, that's your goal, not my goal. And that kind of, that was a light bulb moment for us. So ever since then, we started taking him to his own IEP meetings. And at first people were like, well, we can't talk about him. He's in the room. And I'm like, you're right. You need to talk to him because he's in the room. You right. Know? Well, it, it's funny because depending on what state you're in, typically when the child reaches like 13-ish, it's usually around seventh or eighth grade. Mm-hmm they will actually require that the child be in the IEP meeting. Right. Transitional services. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's part of the goal of the IEP is to shift some of that responsibility onto the child. And the first time my son went, he was freaked out. Like he didn't know what to do. He was just – and we actually had a chance afterwards. I thought, okay, yeah, I screwed that up. What do you know? A mom who admits she screwed it up. Yes, I did. I totally <laughs> messed up. I am learning as I go a lot of things. Um, and I tell him that a lot. Hey, this is my first time parenting. He's my oldest. So this is my first time parenting a 16-year-old. I have no clue what I'm doing. But I guess we're going to figure that out together. And you got to help me figure that out. Sure. Because it's your first time being 16, and it's my first time parenting a kid that's 16. So <laughs> we have to sort of figure that out together. And And we had to figure out, okay, how do we set him up to be successful to set his own goals? And we went through the whole goal-setting process with him. And now he's a rock star at setting goals. He blows them away when he comes in with his own stuff Mm -hmm. and says, this is my goal for the year. This is what I'm planning on doing. And this is how you can help me do this. And usually the teachers are so blown away that – they just say yes to whatever he's asking. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I love that. That's so true. Yeah. And I really hope that the parent nation, um, special needs parent nation, people who are listening are getting that when you, regardless of where your child is, there is a fundamental goal that all of us are ingrained with. And that is to be in control. Right. Right. So yeah. When we start, when we teach our children, diagnosis or not, when we teach our children from a young age how to set and achieve goals, then when they have to go to those IEP meetings or when they get to go to those IEP meetings and they know what a goal is because they've already set and achieved goals, then they can look at those goals in front of them and go, I can do that. That's nothing. And it gives them empowerment. Well, and they're already completely aware of of what an actual goal is and and how to set one and yeah Yeah. it's not foreign to them it's not some new process they're already old hats at at setting goals and achieving them so you know and I'm a big fan of I'm a goal person I like goals so uh, they're easy for me but I know other people maybe have a trouble so you know I recommend people start looking at different goal setting tools and I love smart goals Mm-hmm. which is specific, measurable, achievable, uh, reasonable, and time-oriented. So SMART goals, you can just Google that. It's been around forever. I didn't invent it, um, but <laughs> they're great. It's a great little process to sort of train yourself if you're not a great goal setter. It's a great way to use that, and you can use that tool, especially if your kid uh, – most special needs kids are very visual, and so that's a great visual uh, reminder to them of how a goal is set. And when you can get to that level, then my kiddo can look at the goals that are in the IEP and read them and say, you know what, that's not specific enough, mom. Mm-hmm. I th- or it's not, there's no way to measure that because typically the goals that the school puts out, I'm not a school basher by any means, but they are typically very, very vague. Yeah. And they're vague on purpose 
because that's the measurement that they're going to send to the government or whoever is overseeing special ed to see if progress is being made when perhaps progress is not being made. Right. And so if we can fundamentally change how we do the goals, then your child is going to be set up to be much more successful. I agree with that completely. And they are, some of them are so ridiculous. Like the kids will look at them and go, I don't even know what's being asked of me here. And right. honestly, if your child is high functioning and you're working with them on an IEP, your child should, they should be written at a level that your child can look at that goal and tell you whether or not they feel confident in achieving it. And if absolutely. it's written in stereo instructions, then mm-hmm. it needs to be redone to your point. That's absolutely right. true. Well, and part Part of it is I believe that the fundamental problem of special education, and this is what I'm out on a mission to change, is there is a very, very wishy-washy, no expectation made of these students. Mm-hmm. So they, the school fundamentally doesn't think your child is actually going to achieve the goals. <laughs> they doesn't really don't. They, they don't have an expectation that your kid is actually going to I I can't tell you how many times I was told my kid, there was no way this child was going to get a diploma. And we all know statistically, like 80, 85% of neurotypical kids graduate with a high school diploma. It's like 60% for special education kids. And that's because most of them are pushed through. Correct. You you can't fail my child because they have an IEP. Right. Rather than looking at it and going, okay, my kid can graduate with a diploma, not a certificate of completion, which is a, you know, consolation prize. Oh, you showed up. Here's an attendance prize, which I think is absolutely absurd, ridiculous to give a kid an attendance prize. Because what are they supposed to do with the rest of their life when they're either 18 or 21 and graduate out of the system? I agree. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're out of time, but that was a great way to end your segment. Jennifer, I hope everybody checks you out on Facebook and uh, checks out your book, This Is Not What I Signed Up For. When we come back from our next break, we're going to be talking to Tyler Derman about what 4 million teenagers wish you knew when we come back. Being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. call in sick when you're actually not ill? According to a recent survey, this is a common practice of about one-third of the working public. On the flip side, 30% of employees say they've gone to work sick in order to save their sick days for when they're feeling well. That's pretty twistical or not quite moral. Career Builders does an annual study to see what excuses workers are using when calling in sick. One employee called in to say their false teeth flew out of the window while driving into work. 
One employee said he couldn't get in his car because it was surrounded by angry bees, while another claimed they thought they had won the lottery. What are words for poor excuses? Flapdoodles and fimblefambles. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. That was so fun chatting with Jennifer. We have so much in common. Uh, yes. She's, she was pretty awesome. I love those words you never heard. Yes, I know. Like the whole time. She's <laughs> like, what are, what's a word for made up stories? And I'm like, it, you couldn't say it on the air. <laughs> flapdoodle. I'm going to start using flapdoodles. Flapdoodle. What is that? That's so funny. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So anywho, Mm. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I wish we had like one of those cheering audience like soundtracks that we We could play. We should get one. We should get one, totally, because uh, our next guest would absolutely deserve it. It's, uh, his name is Tyler Derman, and he's the author of Counterintuitive, What Four Million Teenagers Wish You Knew. And I absolutely fell in love with his book, so much so that I read it in the course of one day. It was um, it, it was amazing. My husband couldn't even believe it. He was like, seriously, you read that whole book today? I'm like, yeah, but it's so good. You should read it. And then maybe you would be nicer to our kids. No, I'm like, kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but basically, um, Tyler has spoken at more than 2,800 schools, conferences, events, and he's spoken to more than 4 million teenagers over the last 20 years. And the stories... And and the scenarios that he presents in the book are just so heartwarming and funny and touching and eye opening and it's it's just uh, I can't say enough about it. So hi Tyler, how are you? I'm great, Tara. How are you today? I am awesome. Good. I'm I'm having a good day because my kids are in school. <laughs> yes, we just dropped ours off first day of school today, and we're in heaven. We have our lives back. <gasps> oh my gosh! And they just don't get it. Nope. They just don't get it. It's like, you know, I'm I'm happy because you're learning so much. <laughs> so, not. Not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So, oh, my goodness. So I um, I can't say enough great things about your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. It means a uh, lot to me coming from uh, you. Oh, oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what you you um, present a lot of really cool scenarios in your book. A lot of them are really touching um, and, and made me cry. The one I found really I, I got nervous just reading about it was the kid in the front row who uh, was was all like the, the giant child alpha boy. Yeah. Alpha boy. <laughs> right. And. And he was like, I, I went to school with him. Like my kids go to school with him. And the way you handled him was just so amazing. It was like, you know, this isn't personal. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, I'm here to speak to the rest of the group too. And what I have to say is really important. So if you do it again, you're going to go stand over there with your teachers. Right. Yeah, and you he, know, so go, go ahead. Sorry, Tara. I, it was just amazing to me because, you know, I was holding my breath going, I know he's going to do it. 
I, I know this kid. Yeah, right. And that to me, see, here's the thing. I'm four foot ten. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to me, being in that scenario, I, I would automatically go to like Irish Catholic mom guilt and be like, you know, you're making me feel really bad about myself right now. And <laughs> that doesn't always work. So how do you do you think that it's it's your presence? Do you think that that has more to do with it? What what do the mini me's of the world do in those situations? Yeah, I don't I honestly don't think it's my presence. Um, you know, when I get tested in a large audience um, by anyone or even in my own kitchen by one of my kids, um, I, I, I have this conviction that that preteens and teenagers want to respect us more than they want to like us and that when they test us, they're testing to make sure that that we're stronger than them. They really want that. I mean, they might might have other agendas like that kid, um, obviously insecure, deep issues in his life and his past, but and he wanted attention. But um, as the story in the book shows, in the end, what he wanted was somebody who was going to be strong enough to care for him with strength. And so I used to make the mistake, Tara, in assemblies when I get tested of making jokes. Um, you know, someone would yell something early in an assembly and I'd say, oh, I remember going through puberty and everyone would laugh, and, <laughs> you know, things like that. But that was the, the mistake of that was then I was putting myself on the same level with, with that person. I was like becoming more of a peer than an adult in the room. And um, as you know, I mentioned uh, and I believe with my whole heart that even the most sophisticated teenagers like barbecue chicken, and, you know, just because they look done on the outside doesn't mean they're done on the inside. And they have these need, this, this need to feel safe and uh, to know that there's somebody over them and to respect the adults in their lives. So when I'm faced with that situation, it's not my presence. What I do is I just speak the truth, you know, and I don't ask him to respect me or treat me with respect based on, on the fact that I'm an adult or that I'm a speaker because there's adults and speakers uh, and parents who don't deserve respect. Um, so I, I appeal in my own kitchen also to something bigger. When there's any disrespect at, in an assembly, it's, hey, listen, everyone else in this room, I'm not going to allow you to get in the way of them hearing these important things we're getting to. And so if you test me, I'll, 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 I'll kick you out. In my kitchen, it's my job is to prepare you to be 18, and every future relationship you'll ever have will be built on respect. So I'm not loving you well if I allow you to disrespect me or a mom or, or, or one of your siblings. So I think that's the key. And, and to not take it personally, you know. Um, and, and it's hard emotionally not to, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm fortunate enough to be in front of so many kids that, that these things are in my mind all the time. So um, anyone can do it. I honestly believe that. Even somebody who's four foot ten with a big voice. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to admit, Tyler, one of the things, I mean, my boys are, are bigger than me. I'm the only woman in the house. I'm the only female in the house. Right. And, and I love your words because they ring so true for me, whenever my sons would come at me with disrespect or they would say something that was degrading, I don't look at them and scream at them and get all diva on them. I simply look at them and say, you know what, you're going to be in a relationship someday. Mm -hmm. And, and I owe it to you as a person who's been there, done that to tell you that that's not how, that's not how you treat someone you love. Right. And how can they argue with that? You know, um, there's really no argument with that. Even if they're bugged at you at the time, you know, that's just the truth. And then if we, you know, lectures don't really work um, with preteens and teenagers, as you know, it, it consequences do and um, strength. And once they know where their boundaries are and where our standards are, you know, they really respect us if we're willing to back them up and if we're willing to say we're sorry when we make mistakes. Oh, gosh, isn't that the hardest thing on the planet to do? 
Yeah, but you know what? Unless you believe, well, it is, but unless you believe that it's going to gain you credibility, and that's what I've learned. Um, you know, that's why I call this book counterintuitive because so many of the needs that preteens and teenagers have are, comp- you know, from the adults in their lives are completely counterintuitive. And uh, I have had, as you said, this unique chance to have thousands of one-on-one conversations with kids who confide and confess things to me they've never told anyone primarily because I don't know their friends, parents, or teachers, and I'm going to fly out of town. Um, But all those (laughs) conversations have shown me, and when it comes to that saying I'm sorry thing, you know, I think there's an innate intuitive fear that if we say we're sorry, we're going to weaken our position with them, when in fact the exact opposite is true. Um, Just like in the rest of life, when somebody owns their mistakes and says I'm sorry, you respect them more. Um, and, And that's definitely true with teenagers. So what about those parents? There's there's two different um, sets of parents that I typically come up against. The one is the authoritarian who's like, I'm never going to apologize. And if I apologize, I'll tell them that, you know, why I was right in the first yeah. place afterwards. Right. Right. And then there's the other one that says, you know, I have to I have to, you know, cut the cord. I have to let them go do and be. And whatever happens, happens. And I just want to be their shoulder to cry on. Right. Well, I, you know, I think that you, you've nailed it. Those are two extremes. Um, and in my experience, and this is, this is just my experience of working with families in crisis, the, the mom is more likely to be the nurturer and the dad is more likely to be the one who's like the tough guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's, we, we all want to nurture and we all want to be strong. And, um, you know, I think that in my own life, I, I have to really keep in mind that there's got to be a balance to this, that my role, I think, I think it all comes down to how we see our role in our kids' lives. And if we believe the right things about what role we play in their lives, then consequently, we're going to make the right choices. And, um, you know, we need to be strong. They need to know where the boundaries are. Um, on the other hand, though, like last night, my son, I just sat down to have a late dinner, grilled cheese, and I had a glass of wine, and I put it on the table next to our, our really nice couch. And he walked over, nervous for his first day of school, 14 years old, and went in a drawer right there and turned, and his backpack knocked the red wine all over the couch. Oh. And so, and inside, I just wanted to go, quit being a stupid 14-year-old, you know. <laughs> um, you're driving me nuts. Go walk the dogs, pick up poop. Um, but, <laughs> but what really, you know, what I had to realize when I'm running to the store to get soda water, whatever we had to put on there, is that it was just a mistake, and I want home to be a safe place to come when he fails. But it's only safe if when he fails, if I'm willing to be kind and loving and accept that it's just a mistake. Like I said last night, don't worry. He said, I'm sorry, like 10 times. And finally, I said, I'll punch you if you say it again. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, the other side of it is when he does screw up and when he does blow it, I need this needs to be a safe place in that he knows he will always have a chance to regain our trust. And so there's that balance of, of saying, OK, there's got to be a consequence for this because our job is to prepare you. And then the other side of it is, but this is a safe place to come because we're not going to freak out on you because mistakes are a part of life and we all make them and we all have to learn. And so that authoritative kind of side of things without the compassion, um, no, nobody likes that guy, you know, and that's not the place you're going to run to when you fail. Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. It's crazy. I love um I love how you weave things into stories and your, your main focus is making kids laugh because I'm one of those big believers is when we're laughing, we're learning. And 
that doesn't mean that my house is like a circus, no. you know, but, you know, we do have to, when we make mistakes, we do have to go back and, and laugh about them sometimes. And you tell a story in your book about how you were hesitant to get the Instagram app. Because <laughs> yeah, I, 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 the name confused me, Instagram. I thought it was a place to buy cocaine quickly. <laughs> so I like, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> but, and I love that. But it does bring up a, a topic that's very sensitive to a lot of parents. And it broaches topics of, you know, autonomy and privacy and all kinds of things. And that's social media. Right. So how do you, where do kids want us to be on social media and where do we need to be on it? Brilliant question. Um, first about the laughter thing. I, I want men who are listening and, and any women who want to give the book to a man to know that the book's not only funny, but the chapters are short enough for men to read on the toilet before their legs go numb. <laughs> That was kind of one of my goals as I wrote it because I wanted to reach men. But this is a great question, no matter what, you know, a dad or a mom uh, is up against. The, the social media, you know, I, I get that question a lot after I speak to parenting groups. You know, should we freak out about it? Um, you know, my parents freaked out about the Beatles because of their long hair. When my, I was a little kid and my older brother wanted to grow his hair long. And every generation has things that are new and are going to change the world and definitely you know, everything we're facing technologically right now is changing our culture. Um, you know, some parents think texting's evil. You know, I think with all of these things, it's about moderation, just like it would be with anything else in our lives. Um, we want to teach and educate our kids that there's predators out there. Um, and, uh, you know, where they want us to be isn't always where they need us to be. Um, and ultimately where they're, you know, the parts inside that aren't done yet really want us to be as well. And so on social media, I, I feel like it's a wonderful tool. It is changing the context of how they relate to people. And so in our home, you know, we, we have rules, um, just kind of expectations is a better way to put it, that if, if you want the freedom of having an iPhone, then you need to be responsible with it. You need to still have face-to-face -face conversations and spend time with your friends and you need to be able to turn that thing off and it shouldn't interrupt other conversations but there's a lot of fear involved you know the questions i get should we should we search the history of their internet um searches should we check out their text messages and i believe just the same answer as should i search my kid's room is if you believe that there's a reason a concern, a warning um, that has you concerned, then it's completely appropriate to sit with them and to search their social media. If you have a good reason, you, you should just sit with them and say, hey, listen, here's the reason. Like if a kid's coming home with visine and, and glassy eyes and they try to avoid breathing near you, well, there's a huge red flag. They're doing something potentially that might be damaging, so you should go and search their room. But you shouldn't do it behind their back because this is an open relationship of trust, and trust is the foundation. So you should be able to sit with them and go, hey, here's why. You know, um, we notice we walk in and every time we walk into your room, you quick, quick switch screens or, you know, you hide your phone, you know, and that's that's a little question for us. So we just want to make sure you're safe, not because we don't trust you, but because there's predators who are out there, you know, and other peers who are out there um, talking about things that aren't appropriate and uh, mm -hmm. according to the values that we're raising you. So let's take a look. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of like the girl whose dad makes a big deal of making the new boyfriend come to the door and be respectful to him. You know, that girl is so embarrassed that when she gets in that car, there's a smile in her heart going, my dad loves me. You know, mm -hmm. he loves me. He didn't try to embarrass me, but he loves me. And it's the same with this stuff. You know, they, they need again to know that there's someone over them and that they're okay with that. Can I say a quick thing um, about that? This kid, Josiah, sophisticated student leader, 
um, cream of the crop, sat next to me crying, and he said his dad didn't love him. This was 20 years ago, back when I started documenting these conversations, because what he said was so counterintuitive but profound for me. I said, "Why? how do you know your dad doesn't love you? And he said, well, here's the thing. He never, oh, he says he lets me get away with pretty much everything, buys me whatever I want, and he never disciplines me. And it blew me away that Josiah equated his dad's love with his willingness to discipline him, to be stronger than him. And so um, we build intimacy with teenagers differently than we do with any other relationship in our lives. And so we don't build it as peers. So it's okay to say, hey, I have a concern. This is what I need to do. And we're going to do it together. You know, let's look at your, your history together. Oh, I love that so much. I love everything that you're saying because it's so, like you said, it's so counterintuitive to everything that we're hearing about, you know, building up our kids' self-esteem and, and allowing them autonomy and allowing them independence and letting them be in control. We know that our kids want to be in control. We know these things. And yet, we also know that they need that framework, that boundary to bounce around in and make mistakes in a safe place. And that's right. what I love so much about everything that you teach. Tyler, I can't believe that we're out of time. I was yeah. really, really thrilled to have you on the show today. Thanks. And I, Thank you. You're very welcome. And I encourage all of you to listen to or to go to Tyler Derman's uh, website and to check out Counterintuitive. Until next week, everybody, join us on Facebook. Check me out on my website and keep playing. Of, is this going to shut them up? Connect with Tara online at tarakennedykline.com. Until next time, remember this. Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try 